the main, uh, one of the, the main things for tonight, though, is that I don't just want this to be like 40 minutes or something of me just kind of uh, teaching or talking. And so you can, you can stop me to ask a question at any point. Um, don't roll that into a Sunday because that'll get weird. Um, but at least here tonight, if you've got a question or you want clarification or there's something about um, discipleship and, and what we're talking about that you want some clarification on or you want to press a little further into, then by all means, raise a hand or just kind of shout the question out and I want us to be able to, to kind of cover that. Another kind of laying some groundwork here this evening, um, another point is we're not going to be able to like cover everything tonight. And so what we want to do this evening is begin to kind of uh, roll out what we're hoping ultimately is uh, over time becomes a shift in culture here at LCF. A shift away from a model of discipleship and kind of Christian growth that says, hey, come and see and like come and listen and we'll take care of it at the church to a model um, that we believe is more biblical, which is that the church is going to go and do. Like we are, as the body of Christ are going to go and make disciples, not send them to the church to listen and hopefully become a disciple. Um, and so we're not going to be able to cover everything that that entails. We're not going to be able to like lay out all the tips and um, all the information that we have, but we kind of want to set a foundation tonight. And then there will be some more uh, training opportunities as we go. Our hope is to kind of do them quarterly. If you're someone who jumps into a disciple-making relationship, and as we move forward, we want to have opportunities to bring, those, to bring everybody together that's doing that to continue uh, encouraging one another, offer some more training opportunities. So tonight's going to kind of lay a groundwork, and then we'll have more chances to press into this as we go forward. Sound good? All right. Here we go. It, when and if you have a question, just stop me. Um, what we, wanna, what we really want to do tonight, more than anything, is kind of cast a vision and lay a groundwork. And that vision, as it relates to disciple-making, is about a culture, not a program. Our hope is not that we are, our desire is not to put something together here tonight and to have this conversation and to have people leaving thinking, our church is doing this great new thing. That's not the case. What we're doing tonight is not new, it's not revolutionary, it's not something that like LCF kind of cooked up and thought this would be a great thing for us to roll out. What we're doing tonight is really kind of extending an invitation for folks within our church to step into what is a biblical model. It's the model that Jesus Christ used with his disciples. And that means that this is not a, we're going to do a program and then perpetuate a program for, you know, the next X number of years or the X, next X number of months. We're hoping instead that we begin to shift a culture here within our church and that that culture shift ultimately has ripple effects that would go to the nations. That is the view of discipleship. Um, when you talk about uh, what a church can do in terms of people coming and taking part in a program or taking part in a class or something that's about discipleship versus believers going and making disciples, you start talking in terms of addition and like exponential multiplication. If, if the church, LCF or any local church 
establishment is going to be the means by which people are discipled, then all we can do as a church is kind of add like one or two people through this program, one or two people through that program. But if everybody in here were making disciples, then that becomes exponential. And so every person in here disciples one person. Now we've got double the amount. Then you and the person you discipled go and make disciples. And then all those people go and make disciples. The growth becomes exponential, but it requires a shift in culture. It requires a shift in the way of of the paradigm that we use to think about what discipleship is. And so that's what we really want to see. And that means that what we're doing is that we're inviting you to a lifestyle, not to an event. And what we're going to talk about and some of the, the couple rhythms that we're going to walk through are not things that are primarily going to take place at such and such a time at Liberty Christian Fellowship and you can come and like put it on your calendar and go to the event. It's not going to be that. Uh, Honestly, that would be easier and it would be something that would be more simple to just say, oh yeah, uh, we just go to that thing and the church takes care of discipling. Um, That would be easier than us as a church staff who are passionate about biblical discipleship, looking at a segment of our church body and saying, no, what we're really asking you to do is realign your life, is to alter your lifestyle and to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to step into a lifestyle of inviting people alongside me and helping them walk into deeper relationship with the Lord or possibly bringing them into faith for the very first time. Um, And so then the third thing uh, that that means is that, like I said, this is an invitation, not a launch. We got some emails from people who who would say things like, hey, I'm going to miss Thursday night's meeting when you kind of launch the discipleship thing. And my response was, well, you're not going to miss a launch because that's not what we're doing. Um, I'm sorry you're going to miss our meeting on Thursday night, but maybe actually that's better for you if you were just hoping for a program. this isn't going to be that. Like, we really want to see the, the idea and the understanding of discipleship within our church change. And we really want to see it line up with what we believe is more biblical. Um, I'm not in any way, you know, um, slinging mud toward other churches, especially kind of in America, um, who maybe take a different approach to this. But when you look at the Bible and you look at what Jesus did with the disciples and the way the early church expanded, you don't see it happening because a church offered a really great Sunday school class. You don't see it happening because they built really big buildings and were able to get a bunch of people crammed in on Sunday morning and that was the way that the church grew and that was the way that people deepened their faith. You see individual believers have their life reordered by the gospel and then building disciples sharing the message of the gospel, investing it into people's lives becomes really the heartbeat of who they are as a person. It doesn't mean that everybody goes into full-time ministry as a career. It does mean that everybody steps into full-time disciple-making as a lifestyle. It's what we do. It's who we are as Christians. And so that's really the heart of our staff is to see that culture shift start to take place here within our church. And when we started talking about this really about a year ago, uh, maybe it was actually two years ago, and we started to try to, like, as a staff, get our, 
our mind around what it is that we wanted to see happen, um, we like fumbled our way forward for a long time on like, let's try to even get unified as a staff on how we would define discipleship. And that was a hard conversation. And let's try to, when you think about discipleship, what are you thinking about? And at one point we just filled a whiteboard, uh, you know, 12 people in a room with a bunch of different thoughts about what discipleship was. And over the last couple of years, we've really worked to pare that down and to get to a place where we've got a unified understanding for what the Bible talks about when it talks about discipleship. Um, And it's taken us some time. We also understood when we began this process that whenever we launched this or whatever it might look like, we might have 20 people that came to this meeting tonight and that was gonna be okay with us. Like we would rather start pretty small and have this accurate picture of what a lifestyle of discipleship looks like begin to trickle its way out into our congregation rather than put together an event or a class and have a bunch of people take part, but there's no actual change within what's happening in the life of our church and in the life of the people that call LCF their home. And so uh, we're okay tonight as we walk through this if half the people in here or something say, wow, that would really take restructuring some of the way I think about my daily life, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. That's that's okay. Um, We're going to walk through these couple of rhythms that you've got on the handout in front of you, and you might look at those and think, I don't know how I'm going to make that happen. Um, Our hope is that as some people within our congregation start to model that, more and more people in our congregation see that it's not only possible, but it's also just one of the most joyful and life-giving things that you can be part of as a follower of Jesus. And that culture and that vision will start to work its way out, even if we start with like 10 people doing that. Um, And that's okay. Slow kind of growth and change in that is fine. Um, just so I can get a feel of kind of where we are tonight, who's here because they're kind of interested in discipling another person and they're looking for some direction, looking for some help in that? That's good. Who's here because they really want to be discipled and you're looking around at the people in the room like, who's my victim? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, last night uh, at my, uh, the small group that Melody and I attend, we were split into guys... Uh, the guys and the girls in the group, and the men in our group, we were just kind of talking about this topic of discipleship and how uh, over the last month, since we really started talking about this on Sunday mornings, how that was going in people's lives. And there were four or five of the individuals uh, with, within our small group who were saying, yeah, you know, my wife has taken a step forward in this, or my wife and I are talking to a couple who are going to disciple us, or I've got this guy at work that I'm going to invite to disciple me. And it was really, really exciting. And so I said, or I didn't say, somebody asked, how did those conversations go when you either approached that person to disciple you or you approached that person about discipling them? Because that's one of the questions that we've been getting a lot. How do I just start this? And every person said, "Uh, well, I called them and I said, hey, would you want to disciple me? And they said, yes. Um, or I asked that person, hey, would you want to read the Bible with me? And they said yes. And so uh, right off the top here, I want, to, I want to demystify that aspect of it. If you're in here and you're looking for someone to disciple you, to disciple you, here's a room full of people that just raised their hand and said they're interested in discipling someone. And really, all you've got to do is approach them and say, 
would you be willing to disciple me? Uh, there's a room full of people here willing to do that. And the conversation doesn't have to be awkward. And so uh, if you're someone who's interested in discipling another person, that might be a little bit different. You might say, hey, would you want to read the Bible with me? And they would say, no. And that's okay. You're looking for a person who's interested. So if the person says no, don't feel like you've got to just force it home because this is my only person that I can do that with. Um, There are people all over, inside our church, outside our church, who are craving someone that could come alongside them and help them understand maybe the gospel for the very first time or scripture for the very first time. Or there are young moms and dads in this congregation who are trying to figure out what it looks like to follow the Lord faithfully as they're raising young children. And there are some of you in here who are more seasoned in that and could have a lot to offer those individuals. There are plenty of people here who are willing to uh, be on either side of that. And if your primary holdup is the invitation part of this, um, hear me lovingly say, get over that. It'll be okay. I think in most cases, especially because we've been talking about this a lot here at our church, people are going to be interested on either side. And if you would just ask, I think you'll probably find that there's more receptivity to that than maybe you are initially thinking. Um, I want to clear the air on a couple of uh, a couple of maybe misconceptions about what discipleship is as compared to like mentoring, or what discipleship is as compared to a, an accountability relationship, or what discipleship is compared to just like a Bible study. Um, the main question there is: Well, what do we see? What do we see Jesus doing? We we have a general understanding of what a mentoring relationship is, but is that what Jesus is doing with the disciples? Does he just gather up 12 guys and say, I'm going to just mentor you for a little while? Is that what we see Jesus doing? Do we see Jesus gathering up a few people and saying, you know what, I'm just going to hold these guys really accountable to not sinning? No, we don't see that either because there were plenty of Pharisees that could have held people accountable to not sinning. Do we see Jesus say, I'm just going to get some of these guys together and we're going to hang out once a week for an hour and do a Bible study? No, we don't really see that either. What we see Jesus doing has elements of all those things. There's elements of mentoring. There's elements of holding those individuals accountable. There's elements of helping them understand scripture, but it's, it's larger than that and it has a different beginning point. If you approach somebody and you want a mentoring relationship, it's usually geared in a certain area. Hey, I'd love for you to mentor me in my career. I'd love for you to help mentor me as a parent or whatever the thing might be. If you're looking for somebody to hold you accountable, it's usually the starting point is I've got some struggle in my life or maybe we share this struggle and we're both in the sanctification process wanting to move through it and it would be helpful to do that together. That's usually the starting point on accountability. A Bible study is typically... I just want to understand the word a little bit better. And so let's gather some folks together and do that. Discipleship begins in a different spot. Discipleship unapologetically begins with multiplication in mind. That we're going to get together, that we're going to spend some amount of time interacting with with one another in such a way that when this is over, we could both go and do this with someone else. Which means that for the most part, discipleship relationships have a little bit of a life cycle. They don't just exist perpetually. 
That's a friendship, and friendships are wonderful. I'm not encouraging you to not have friendships. Please have friendships. An accountability relationship usually has some sort of end point to it that is either we've made it past this particular issue or we're still not successful and this isn't working. We need to find another way to try to work ourselves through this particular issue. Mentoring has an end point of I get to where I'm trying to go in my career or I get past this season of life where your mentoring me through this thing was helpful. Discipleship's end point is I want the nations to hear the gospel and I'm going to invest the truth of that into another person so that they can go and do the same thing. And that is the unapologetic beginning point of discipleship. That's one of the main things that makes it different than mentoring, that makes it different than accountability, that makes it different than a Bible study, is we're going to do this thing together so that you can go and do this thing without me. That's, if you're someone who's looking to be discipled, you're looking for somebody with a level of maturity that you could say, I want what that person has in terms of the gospel and the ability to communicate it so that I can give away what I see that person giving away. That's what you're searching for. If you're someone who's looking to make disciples, you're looking for someone that you think could have the ability to reproduce what it is that you're going to be doing. Now, I would also say that anybody who follows Jesus has that ability. Some people maybe just aren't ready to accept that aspect of following Christ. And so, discipleship, you will mentor that person. That's one of the beauties of it. If, you, if you've got somebody who's a little bit um, uh, further behind you in life, you're gonna have the opportunity to answer their questions about, hey, this is the thing going on at my job and I don't quite know how my faith intersects with that thing. This is the thing that's going on in my family. This is the thing that's going on in a relationship or a friendship that I have and I'm, I'm having a problem getting the gospel to intersect with that. And you're ahead of them in life. So you've been through that and you're gonna have the ability to mentor in those ways. You're gonna have the ability to hold that person accountable and the opportunities to hold that person accountable in their own sanctification process because ideally your life is going to be close enough to theirs that you're going to see the things that it is that they struggle with and see the things that it is that they're wrestling with. And so you're gonna have those chances. You're absolutely gonna have the chance to study the word together because that's gonna be the gathering point for you in these relationships. And so discipleship has those elements, but it begins with multiplication in view. Let's look at those rhythms. Yes. Hey, um, this might be a weird question, but probably not. Um, y'all have a lot of time to think about it. Can you relate to me uh, from Scripture or how you see it played out in Scripture in the New Testament or in the Old Testament? That's fine. Um, how you see the way you're defining it played out? I mean, what examples or what do you cite or look in Scripture that this? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I mean, the primary place in the New Testament that we see it played out is the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples. And this model of discipleship that we're defining as a lifestyle comes out of the three years that Christ spends with those disciples, where he's living life next to them. He's explaining scripture alongside them. He's engaging in ministry with them. He's challenging them in terms of their understanding of what it means to follow the Lord. And he's doing that just, hey, come and follow me. I'm inviting you into my life and into my ministry, and let's do this together. And then 
we see Paul go and do that with the churches then that he, he invests in. Paul's letters aren't just like, oh, I think there's a church over there in Corinth and I'm just gonna like send this off and hope that they understand it. It's, he's been there. He spent time with them. He lived in Ephesus for three years. He lived life alongside them and explained the truth of scripture. And that's where we're taking the model from. And then, like we talked about on the Sunday morning, the 2 Timothy 2.2 verse, that's what you've heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others that we invest this down the line, so to speak, so that it can go out. Um, So that's where we're drawing the model from. Um, A big influence for me and my own personal understanding of this, I mentioned this on a Sunday morning, is the book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It's by Robert Coleman. Um, He lays out in, in really wonderful detail this model of what I would say is the biblical model of discipleship. He lays that out really, really well. Um, and he takes it all from the life of Christ, 100% from the way that he sees Christ interact with the disciples. So do you see a distinction between discipleship and evangelism? Uh, so one of, that's where I wanted to end, but we'll go there together. Um, yes and no. Oh, yes, sorry for the podcast. Is there a difference between discipleship and evangelism, a distinction between discipleship and evangelism? I would say yes, but also no. Discipleship can begin at the initiation of a relationship. That could be with a non-believer, which means that you can disciple someone to the cross and after the cross, not from the cross. We don't ever move on from that, but after they've, they've come to the cross. And so you can begin a discipleship relationship with someone who's not a believer and say, and Honestly, the way I would phrase that question is, would you want to read scripture with me? And let's explore who Jesus is and what the Bible has to say about who God is and what that means for us. And the discipleship and the intentionality and what we're going to walk through in these rhythms could play out with somebody who's not a believer. So evangelism is a huge part of what you're doing there. And then further growth could happen should that person come to faith in the Lord. I think discipleship can go the whole spectrum on that. You begin a relationship with a non-believer, your discipleship is moving them toward faith. You begin a relationship with someone who is a believer, your discipleship is helping them grow in that faith. Obviously, you're not going to commission for multiplication someone who's not a believer. And so your discipleship relationship, if someone's not a believer, uh, may mean result in faith, that they come to faith. It could also mean that you spend a lot of time reading scripture together and they say, hey, this was great, but I still don't believe you. (laughs) And the relationship goes a different direction at that point. But that's a great question. Um, Jesus in the Great Commission, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. The baptizing side of that is bringing people to faith. Teaching is what a lot of people would typically think of as discipleship, which is the helping someone grow in faith. But when Jesus commissioned them to go and make disciples, he included both aspects in that commission, baptize and teach. And so our view of discipleship needs to have the space for both of those things to take place? That's a great question. In fact, let me just share a story about that really quick. We, Melody and I were at dinner on Monday night with a family here within our congregation who spent years in France as missionaries. And uh, the wife in that couple, um, she began a relationship with a French woman and she's been friends with that woman for 22 years. And while they were in France, she would ask all the time, do you want to read the Bible with me? And, and this woman would say no. I mean, she said no 
a lot for years. They left France and came back here. Um, the, the French woman ended up having a number of things happen in her life that led her to reach back out and say, you know what, I think I would like to read the Bible. So they read Genesis and they read Exodus and they read a gospel and then they read Romans. And in the middle of Romans 4, this French woman says, I get it. It's all about grace. And accepted faith in Christ in the middle of Romans 4 when they were reading together. And now the relationship continues and the nature of their conversations has shifted a little bit, but the discipleship process began 22 years ago at the initiation of a relationship. Took about... 20 years to finally get to where the person would want to read scripture together, about a year of reading the Bible, and now that person has come to faith and the relationship is going to continue on. And we were at at dinner and it was just really cool to hear that story and think, at some point this French woman is going to be able to do this with other French women. And that's amazing. And so there was an evangelism component and also a discipleship, a growth component that's playing out now. Any other questions at, at this point? All right, look down at your little handout. We don't want to micromanage the relationships that people are stepping into. They should look different. Uh, they will look different. You're, you might step into a discipleship relationship with someone who's not a believer. You might step into some, a discipleship relationship with someone who's a brand new believer or someone who's been walking with the Lord for a little while but's never seen this thing play out and wants to be discipled. And so each of those points would, would shift the dynamics of the relationship a little bit. You might have a discipleship relationship with someone whose personality is one thing and at another time in life their personality is very different and so your approach is a little bit different. But we think there are some elements Uh, particularly two rhythms that are important that take place in these relationships but are also transferable. There's something that you can pass on to another person. One of those rhythms involves relating with scripture and one of those rhythms involves what does the relationship, how does, what relational aspects are there? Um, Somebody ask a question? Oh, Here's, here's the first one. Both of these rhythms you'll see on your page, they have seven pieces. Um, The idea here is that you could walk through this style of engaging in scripture. You could walk through this style of engaging in a relationship and the other person could catch that and repeat it with somebody else. It's transferable. It's not so complicated that somebody's got to be a Bible scholar in order to be able to do it. It's not so complicated and involved that another person couldn't say, you know what, my life has the space to do this. Um, Here's the Bible part. And these questions are simple. What does the passage say? You sit down, you gather together around scripture, you're reading something together. Really simple. Just summarize the passage. Maybe you read 10 verses and you say, put it in your own words. What did that passage just say? Honestly, for a lot of people, that's one of the hardest parts of reading the Bible. I read it, but I'm just not sure what it said. And so talk through it. What does this passage say? And then work with, what does this passage mean? You read the parable of the the sower uh, or of the soils, and the person says, well, the passage says that there are four kinds of soil. There's a rocky one, there's a hard one, there's a thorny one, and there's a good one. And some seed got scattered and some different things happened. 
perfect. But now it's a different question to ask, what does that mean? How do we actually take what that says and figure out what it means for us in a spiritual sense? That's question number two. What does the question command or demand of me? Identifying if, if I'm reading this, is it calling me to something? Is it asking something of me? And then the subsequent question there would be, when are you going to do it? How do you be obedient? What does it look like to actually do the thing that we just read? Well, the, the passage says uh, that we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. Okay, what does it look like to do that? Well, I should probably stop sleeping with my girlfriend. Okay, that's a good step. When are we going to do that? You know, and be explicit about that. Be clear about that. How does this passage change how I view or relate to God? Is there something, I was reading in Psalms um, just yesterday, and Joe and I were having a conversation, and the psalm that we were reading, uh, it was 86 or 87, I can't remember which number, 87. Um, David has these incredibly bold prayers, and Joe and I both were like, I don't pray with that much confidence. What, how does this change the way I relate to God? I should, I should have the confidence to come before the Lord and pray a little bit more boldly, not be so meek about it. Um, sometimes we get into Scripture and we see something about who the Lord is or the way Old Testament figures were relating to the Lord or the way New Testament figures are relating to the Lord, and you read it and you think, man, that's, that should change the way I interact with God. And so have a conversation about that. How does this passage influence my relationship with others? Something about the way I'm treating my wife. Something about the way I'm living in relationship. Does this call me to, re- to reconcile or to repent or to seek forgiveness? How does this passage prompt me to pray? And then, and this is important, who should I share the truths of this passage with? If you begin with multiplication in view, pretty early on you should be calling the person to step into sharing. Doesn't mean they've got to be perfect. It doesn't mean they need to sit down and run through all seven questions with a coworker or something like that. But it could be as simple as, you know, I think I could share this with my spouse or with my children or with fill in the blank person. And they can go and do that because this is pretty simple. They've walked through what it says. They've walked through what it means. They've walked through if there's a command that needs to be followed. They've walked through if there's some truth in the passage about who God is and how it is that we should view and understand him. And they could communicate that to another person. Um, I want to be pretty unapologetic tonight that this should be, uh, these relationships should be about scripture. There's nothing wrong with a book study. There's nothing wrong with um, taking a, a book like uh, radical or a book like uh, there's a great Jen Wilkin book out right now called None Like Him that's about who the Lord is. And those are wonderful. But if you're going to be able to spend a little bit of time with someone, wouldn't you prefer to see what God has to say rather than like what Francis Chan has to say or John Piper has? I mean, they've got good things to say. But if you're only going to get limited time with an individual, don't you want to go to like the ultimate source Isn't that the most important thing at at that point? And if you're going to help them grow and to be able to do that with someone else, they've got to learn how to engage with Scripture on their own. 
the, the books and other stuff are wonderful. There's nothing wrong with those. But these discipleship relationships should be centered on Scripture. That's, that's got to be the anchoring point for what it is that you're doing with that person. Does all of that make sense? Any, any follow-up questions on that? That's a great question. Um, yeah, so, so that was going to be the other thing I was going to say. Um, the question was, thank you for reminding me, podcast people. The question was, in discipleship, are you always looking for someone who's uh, quote-unquote lower than you in their kind of relationship or behind you in their relationship with the Lord? Um, uh, I think my initial answer is yes. The question is, how do you, how do you assess that? Um, I think you're looking for someone that you, uh, you can pass something on to. And so I think in a lot of cases, that can, you, we can learn from each other even if someone isn't like spiritually ahead of us, if that makes sense. But if we're going to engage in the depth of relationship here, at some point you would get into it and you would realize, I don't have a lot to... I have like a ton to offer here. <laughs> um, if I were going to, to like sit down with, I'm just going to, with Carrie Broyles and say, I'm going to disciple Carrie Broyles. We'd be together for about four hours and I would realize Carrie Broyles is going to disciple me. <laughs> and we would need to switch the relationship. <laughs> um, and so the assessment of it, I think, is difficult. Um, that's, that's why... Uh, I think it is important for people who want to be discipled to ask someone. Um, if I got approached by someone and they said, hey, would, would you disciple me? And, I, and if Carrie Broyles approached me and asked me that, I would say, uh, I'd be willing to hang out with you, but I'm not sure I've got a lot to offer in terms of discipling you. I think you should disciple someone else or get with someone that's way <laughs> more mature than I am um, in their faith and, and being willing to say that. Um, I think another fairly easy way, though it's not always the case, is to find someone who might just be li- literally physically younger. Um, they've had less time to walk with the Lord. They've had less life experience walking with him. Now, it doesn't always mean that it's going to be the case that you're further along than they are spiritually, but it helps the odds um, of that being the case. So um, an accountability relationship with someone who's in the same spot, getting together to study scripture and just do like a Bible study with somebody in the same spot is, those are wonderful. And I think we could all testify to the fact that those have had huge impacts in our lives at different points. But real, I think real investment in discipleship is going to take place with someone who's who's a little further behind you. You put your hand up. about it in an aspect if you come across a relationship like that to think about a co-laborer. Um, I did that for a year with a gentleman named Tom Hall who runs No Place Left, the whole Midwest, and that's why we've done the trainings and stuff here. And him and I co-labored for a year doing iron on iron, essentially discipling one another, and now we go out and do that uh, apart from that. Or to come together to do that, let's say you build a relationship or just uh, enter into a discipleship relationship with a co
That's good. <laughs> we'll transcript that for later. Yeah. Brian's got to turn it on. I'm... You got me? Okay. Oh, there he is. <clears throat> All right, so you're talking about not necessarily going through using a book, mm -hmm. use the Bible. Yet there's a lot of great resources. Tons Can of great Can you just resources. make a distinction? Like, in fact, the website that you guys launched yeah. has a lot of great resources. resources, books. Yep. What's that versus what you were giving yeah. an example of earlier? So some of the resources that we posted... Um, are uh, the technical word? They're, they're like commentaries. So they they go verse verse by verse or section by section through like let's just say Ephesians, and they're they're alongside the word. So you're going to be reading the word together, and you as the discipler are using Christ-centered exposition, or you're using Ephesians for you. I don't even know if there is an Ephesians for you. Um, you're using that resource in order to help prepare for when you come together and you get to the what does the passage mean and they say, I don't know, and you, and you have something to offer <laughs> because you've done a little bit of research and preparing using one of those resources to come into that conversation and be, and be ready. Um, when I am saying like a book study, uh, like I think John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life is a great book. Um, it's something that's really good to read, but if I've got X number of limited minutes or time with a person, I would rather sit down and read through Scripture with them than just help them understand, don't waste your life. Um, so does that, does that help? Any others? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, would I seek someone, because I want to be discipled. Yeah. So would I seek someone of my own gender? Ah, and you just question. briefly, just briefly touched on this same question, or the question, would it be wrong if someone was younger to disciple me? Great question. Those are both great questions. Um, would it be wrong for someone that's younger than you to disciple you? Absolutely not. Um, and and I, I would even add... Um, it would be a mark of, of great humility for anyone to be willing to ask someone younger than them to, to disciple them. Um, should you seek someone in your own gender? Uh, I would say yes. Um, and that's not even like a generally yes or a, it's maybe a good idea yes. I would put a pretty hard yes on it um, because of what we're going to look at in terms of the relational aspect of this. Um, you're going you're to end up investing a lot of time. You're going to spend a lot of time together. And uh, I, th I think some, some boundaries could become confusing if you're with someone of another gender. Um, so could it be someone younger? Absolutely. Should it be someone of the same gender? I would say yes. That's a, those are both great questions. Uh, you're going to have to use the microphone, yeah, Brent. That's great. that's great. Can you talk more about the life cycle? Uh, yeah. You had mentioned you know, what that looks like, how, how long you're thinking. Yeah, e yeah. Every relationship's different, but um, just how long should a typical... That's a, that's a great question. T.A., you had your hand up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the life cycle uh, is going to be different all the time. You know, to just say this should happen in six months or this should happen in one year, I think, would be to set people up for possible frustration or disappointment. Um, the example that I used of that woman in France, it was a 20, it's been a 22-year process to um, get to where they are today. Um, but in general, uh, what, part of what we want to provide is, are some metrics that if you're discipling someone, you can use not, I, I want to say this gently, not to like decide w- whether or not they're a mature believer, um, but to help you gauge when it's time to kick them out of the nest. Like, you can do this. It's time for you to go and multiply. And so we're still in the process of pulling together the exact verbiage on that. Um, and at a, you know, a future training, we want to be able to provide that to people who are on the discipling side. Um, but it's using the five um, markers that we have here, humbly unified, mission-driven, pursuing holiness, uh, making disciples and uh, gospel-centered. It's using those to gauge, could this person go and do this um, on their own? And the life cycle of that, um, you, I think you can find uh, that these relationships could be, let's call it a semester, like you're investing in someone in college, and you find, wow, they are, they're actually pretty mature and they could go and do this and we spend some time together and I can commission them to go. It could be that you're with a non-believer and it might take a long time to, for them to come to faith and then some more time for them to be confident to go and reproduce some of these rhythms with someone else. And so that could look a little bit different. If I had to just put a general sort of timeline on it, I would say that you would find in a lot of cases that if you're being intentional with someone and you're investing in someone, um, somewhere between six and, and 12 months, they're going to be able to go and reproduce what it is that you're doing. Um, again, could be shorter could be longer, but I think somewhere in that range is, is probably uh, a decent expectation or a, a decent framework. Keith. Good job, Jim. Did you get a workout in today? Good. This is good. Do you have any thoughts or guidance around one-to-one relationships yeah. versus groups? That's a great question number of people that you're investing in at a time, th- those types of things? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one to, it does not have to be one-to-one. It does not have to be, you know, one-to-three or one-to-five. I, I think the model can work in, in various ways. Um, Jesus had 12, and then kind of inside that 12, he had three that he, was, he really invested heavily uh, in. Um, you can find people who are kind of dogmatic about this must be one-on-one, or you can find people who are pretty dogmatic that this should be in kind of smaller groups of three to five people. Um, one of the things we don't want to do as we kind of initiate a culture of this is specify what it has to look like. And so I think more on the disciplers end, it's important to be honest, how much bandwidth do I have? Uh, relationally in order to be able to do this? Um, how, many, how many people can I invite in and do a, a faithful job with? 
And I think that should be an important component that you think through if you're wanting to disciple someone. It could be that you say, you know what, realistically, I can do this with one person and do it well. That's fine. Uh, do that with one person and do it well. You know, It could be that you say, I've got three coworkers at work that would like to read scripture together. I'm gonna do this with those three and I think I have the space to do it. Then do it with those three and that's fantastic. And each of those three could arrive at the point where they're ready to multiply at different times. And that's okay. They can, you can release them to go and to do that and to still come and be a part of what you're doing as a group there. You know, um, I think evaluating your own sort of space and time to give is a, an important place to start there. It can work great one-on-one. There are uh, uh, churches and disciple-making models that it works great in smaller groups. And so either is, either is a wonderful option. I'm going to jump down into the sort of relational rhythm here. There, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, if you want to jot this down, you can go and, and read it later. Um, Paul says to the church there, Uh, in Thessalonica. He says, we cared for you so much that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, that would be like the teaching part of this, the scripture rhythm, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Um, Just as important as the rhythm of, of getting into scripture and helping someone understand what the Bible has to say about who God is, is letting them see your life lived faithfully before the Lord, letting them see your life when you struggle to live faithfully before the Lord, letting them see you repent, letting them see you stumble and struggle with the sanctification process, letting them see you or hear you talk about how you you had a short fuse with your wife that day and you know you're going to have to go back and make that right or with whatever the case might be. Um, And so we put some uh, some ideas here of what should be involved in sort of the relational component with this person um, or people that you, you engage with. The first one is a commitment to regular interaction and communication. Um, I think this is the thing that scares people away. Do I have time to meet with someone for an hour every single week and fit that into my schedule because... My job is hectic. We've got three kids or um, whatever the case might be. Last night, again, at our small group, one of the individuals in our group was talking about uh, his wife and this discipleship relationship she had jumped into. And they are going to meet together physically once a month on the, the Wednesday of every month that we don't meet, which is the first Wednesday of every month. And then on the weeks in between, they're doing FaceTime because they both have a few young children and it can be a little bit hard for them to find babysitters or do whatever might be necessary to get coffee. And so once a month they'll be together when our small group's not together because there's childcare here at the church that they can still utilize on Wednesdays. And then they're gonna Skype um, once a week on the in-between weeks. And so there's just consistent, there's a commitment to being consistently interacting. And then you know they're texting or communicating in between those times. Um, another example of a way to do this, um, Ken and Vaughn, who does 
discipleship sort of training uh, as a profession for downline ministries, he talks about the first person that discipled him was a man named Soup Campbell. And Kenan showed up at his house and said, would you disciple me? And Soup said, yep, be here at 5 a.m. That was his first attempt to scare Kenan away. And so Kenan set like multiple alarms and he got over there at 5 a.m. and uh, was like sitting on Soup Campbell's front patio or porch when Soup walked out. And what he would do is he would kind of open up his calendar and he would say, here's what I have going on. Put your name somewhere. And Soup would put everything on the calendar. Like he was a pastor of a church. And so sometimes Kenan said, I spent an hour sitting at the church watching Soup Campbell lead a staff meeting. But that was where I signed up because it worked for us to get together. Now, obviously, your job might not make that possible. But your, your child might have a sporting event. And you think to yourself, I've got to go to the sporting event. And therefore, I couldn't get together with someone then. Well, you absolutely could if they're willing to watch second grade soccer. You could totally be together. Or you think to yourself, this is my normal window when I go do fill in the blank and I couldn't possibly, you know, I don't have time. You absolutely do. You're inviting them into your life. Let them be a part of your life. It doesn't mean you're going to clear out the schedule entirely and be able to sit down at a coffee shop. It could mean they come over while you're cooking dinner and you're having this conversation about scripture as you're cutting potatoes or, you know, carrots or whatever the case might be, since we all eat potatoes and carrots for dinner. Um, I don't know why that's what came to mind. Those are the things I'm capable of doing in the kitchen. Um, you're inviting that person into your life. And so your consistent interaction might be times that are structured enough that you're able to sit down in a place, get all the distractions out of the way, and just be there together with your Bibles. It might be that you invite that person into your life and the conversation happens a little bit more on the go because there's some other stuff going on. It's also possible that this person you're discipling would love nothing more than to have dinner with your family. And so you think that time's totally off limits and they think to themselves, that's kind of the time I'd like to see. Um, I, I, you know, for a season of life, I spent a lot of time around Tim Nixon, who was a part of our church. And he had this thing. He was, well, you got to eat somewhere. And he would just invite me or Melody and I over to eat dinner uh, or lunch or something at their house because they're going to eat and we're going to eat. We might as well do it in the same place. And so... It's those kinds of things that you have that time in your schedule. If you think of discipleship as a program that you've got to build time into your life in order to be able to do, you will convince yourself you don't have time to to engage in discipleship. If you view discipleship as a lifestyle and you're inviting someone into your life, you'll realize that you've got tons of time to be able to do this. It's just that you're going to invite someone to be around while you're doing the thing that you were already going to do and they could be a part of it. So if you view this as a program or an event, you're going to convince yourself you don't have the space for it. If you view this as a lifestyle, you're going to find out you've got plenty of time to be able to make this happen. Um, It's just letting someone come and be a part of the stuff that maybe you think, I wouldn't normally let someone be a part of that. But uh, maybe you're discipling someone who loves second grade soccer. And so they would want to come to every one of those games and sit with you and talk about scripture while they watch eight little ones chase a soccer ball around. So consistent, regular communication. The next one is 
scriptural study and discussion. We went through that rhythm up there with scripture. Um, Here's the next one, prayer. You're going to pray for this person. You're going to pray with this person. You're going to allow this person to pray for you. So you're going to share with them what it is that they could be praying for you about. You're going to engage in that together. The reason this is so important, you are not the one that's going to produce fruit in the life of the person that you are discipling. You're going to open up your life. You're going to share with them what you've got to offer. And then you're going to get on your knees and pray that the Lord would bring fruit to that and do the the transforming work in their heart. He's ultimately going to be the one that grows them. And so you're you're going to offer everything that you have to give. And then you're going to just lean on the Lord in prayer that he would bring growth in their life. Um, which leads to the next part. Personal transparency and accountability. Um, You're not going to be able to get together on meeting number one and say, look, person I'm discipling, we're going to be totally transparent with one another. So I want you to share with me all the deepest, darkest things that you've kept locked away in the recesses of your heart and all the troubling life experiences you had as a child so that we can deal with those. You're going to have to model this for that person. If you're going to step into a relationship and you're going to be the discipler, you're going to have to be more transparent than the person you're discipling out of the gate. And they're going to have to grow in their willingness to be transparent with you because they're seeing you do it with them. And they're seeing that modeled. They're going to grow in their willingness to unfold what's happening in their life alongside you because they're going to see that you care for them by the way you're praying for them by the way you're opening up time for them to be in your life. And so this transparency and accountability is something that's going to grow. It's something that um, I think we all, uh, when, maybe when we think about discipleship and when we think about friendships and relationships, we think about endpoints on those things and we don't necessarily think about how long it takes to get there. And so you might step into a discipleship relationship with someone that you've known for a while and the transparency piece is easy. You might be approached tonight by someone who wants to be discipled and you don't know them at all. Your first time together at the second grade soccer game is not going to be the most deep thing, the most deep conversation you've ever had with someone. It's going to take a little bit of time and that's okay, but you're also going to have to model it if you're the discipler. You're going to have to be willing to open up the doors on your life so that they feel safe to do the same with you. Um, Which leads to the next one. You can't do accountability without sometimes having to challenge somebody. And so an important rhythm in a discipleship relationship is being willing to lovingly challenge and encourage someone toward holiness. You're not doing the person you disciple any favors if you see them living in sin and think, I don't want to make them mad, so I'm not going to say anything about it. You've got, you're going to be gathered together around the word, which means sometimes you might say, what does this passage command or demand of me? And as you were reading the passage over the course of the week, and as you were praying about that, you knew what it was demanding, and you knew it was going to be a struggle for that person. And so you ask that question, and they don't say the thing that you know needs to be said, which means it's going to be your responsibility to say it, to say it lovingly, to say it with grace, but also with a firm handle on the truth, um, and then to encourage them to allow the Holy Spirit to move them toward holiness and and to walk alongside them as they do that and to be someone who's willing to extend grace as they continue to struggle, but who's also willing to continue to press in as they continue 
as someone continues to struggle. That'll look different in every discipleship relationship you have, the things that come up, the issues that someone struggles with. You might find, okay, this person gets a little bit defensive when I challenge initially, but they always think about it. And they always come back around and we have a good conversation about it. You might find out that you're with someone uh, like Joe Stewart who just loves to be challenged. And so you jump in with a loving challenge and he says, amen, um, and goes right along with you. Um, this will always look a little bit different. The issues, the way that it's received, but it's a rhythm that needs to be present in these discipleship relationships. You had a hand up. Yeah, what if we run into something that we feel is over our heads with the accountability and the transparency? Totally. Um, what happens if we run into someone who, like, we're too deep and yeah. uh, it's something we can't handle and we need to refer them to some counseling? That's, or, what, that's what I was just going like, to say. Like, where do we go? Uh, in those instances, the most loving thing you can do is say, you know what, let's, let's talk to Kurt at, at the church. It's, he, this is his role is to help people with these kinds of, of things, and they have resources to help us find a counselor. And so the most loving thing you can do in those situations is say, this is, this is beyond what I can do, but I can help you find resources, or I can help, we can help find a person um, that can, that can be helpful for you in this. And one of the beauties of, a, of these disciple-making relationships is that that person might not have ever gotten there if, if you hadn't been present to say that. And they might find freedom from some stronghold in their life because the person that they were discipling was able to say, we can get help for that. And let's go and find that together. Um, same thing if a, if a scriptural question comes up that you just don't have an answer to and you're using a resource and you're trying to find it. Um, you say, let's ask, you know, Joe or let's ask TA. Let's, let's find a pastor on Sunday and, and see. Any one of us would love to sit down and have some of those conversations. So you're not on an island in these relationships. There's a, there's a community of people around you that would love to be able to help. That's a great question. There are two more of these. Uh, Participation in kingdom service. This could be together that you decide you're going to go serve at a soup kitchen together, or you decide you're going to um, help out in Kids Point together, or hey, let's uh, help out at VBS together, or whatever the case might be. It could be that you're just trying to encourage that person toward being involved in the life of the church, or in the life of the expansion of the kingdom and you're helping them find a way into that because part of what it is to follow Jesus is to be unified and engaged within the life of the church, local church, big church, big C church. And then the last one is commissioning for multiplication. At some point, you look at that person and say, hey, remember when we started this, right off the beginning, we said that we were, we were in this for the sake of multiplication and it's time and you're ready. And you can sit down with somebody and ask those questions about a passage of scripture and walk through it with them. You can open up your life to them. Um, you get to kick them out of the nest. You get, to, you get to say, you can go and do this. And that doesn't mean that you never get together with that person again. By the time your discipleship relationship kind of runs its course, you're going to have developed a wonderful relationship there. It just means that the nature of your relationship might change. The frequency might change. It might mean that now you're getting together because they've got questions as they're trying to disciple another person and you get to be an encouragement and walk alongside them as they try to figure that out. But the dynamic will shift uh, when you arrive at that point. So there's a scriptural uh, rhythm there. There's a relational rhythm. 
there is room and freedom. You might not like the way we phrased those scriptural questions. That's okay. Put them in your own words. You might think that there are a couple additional questions that would be good to ask. That's wonderful. Insert them and ask them. The main thing is if you do something consistent, then the person you're discipling can reproduce it. That's, that's really the key. That's why we wanted to give these two uh, rhythms because if our ultimate goal is multiplication, then whatever we're doing with people needs to be transferable and reproducible. And so you can use these questions and you're gonna use them over and over and over and over and over again. And when you look at that person and say, you can go and disciple someone and you say, and they say, but I don't know how to do that. And you say, well, what have we done? And they think back and as they talk it out, they realize, oh yeah, I could do that. I've seen you do that with me. Um, Same thing on the relational side. This is already uh, 17 minutes longer than I thought it would be. Not a surprise to me, I guess. Um, Any other questions there? I want to end with one final thing. Ms. Lawson. I can start with some specific scripture for us to start with. That's a great question. Or are we going to just throw open the Bible? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So on our website, um, there's a discipleship. If you go to lcfliberty.org, there's a little discipleship tab now, and you can go there, and we put some suggested reading plans in there. Um, they happen, the four that we put in there are either whole, whole Bible, every you know, word over the course of a year, or they're um, like the scope of the Bible, so it does readings throughout. Um, but you could also, again, we don't want to necessarily micromanage these relationships. You could sit down and you might be with, an, with someone who's not a believer and you say, you know what's most important? We need to read John together. Or we need to read Luke together and just see who Jesus is. And you start there. You might be with somebody who says, uh, you know, I've been a Christian for a while. I've never read the Old Testament. And you say, fantastic. Let's start in Genesis. And so you cater a little bit to where the person might be. The Version Bible app, tons of reading plans that are fantastic. You don't have to recreate the wheel on what does this Bible plan reading plan look like? How much should we read every day? Go in there and find a good one that fits the person that you're discipling and then use it. And um, that's an, that is a wonderful tool that's full of options. And so we put four on our website that you could use, but there are tons more out there. Oh boy. How do you have a question? You've been in all these meetings. <laughs> Oh, no, Joe's got a comment. It's a question <laughs> that someone might be thinking. Okay. <laughs> Should they do a, like, if you say in your relationship, oh, I really think that we should do Ephesians or First John. These are very short books. Yeah. Should there be a daily reading where you're doing four Great or five question. days of reading or only, you're only doing the one reading per week as you meet? That's a great question. Someone might have been thinking I know, that, thank Joe. thank you. I this way. You're welcome. Um, I, again, a lot of that is going to have to cater to the person that you're interacting with. It could be that you're interacting with someone who isn't a believer or is a believer but has never read the Bible. If you jump into the whole Bible seven days a week, your chance of success might be low. Um, so as you're looking at reading plans, you might say, you know what, it would be unbelievable movement forward for this person if we could read scripture three times in a week. And you find a reading plan that does that through 1 John or through you know, Galatians or pick your thing. 
Um, and that's what you use. You might be with somebody who's in a decent rhythm of reading scripture, but uh, they just need a little bit more accountability to that. And so you could do a five-day, six-day, seven-days-a-week type plan. Um, the success of, I say success, but uh, your disciple-making relationship and your ability to really get traction reading scripture it will be important that you identify where that person is and you try to meet them there as best you can while challenging them to go forward. So they say, yeah, I read my Bible once a month. Don't find a once a month, one day a month reading plan. You're going to say, let's take a step forward in that and find something that's more, um, but that we can provide a little bit of accountability to and we can meet and talk about. Um, that's a great, a great question. And then as you go, you can up the amount that you're reading. Like, hey, we're in a really good rhythm on three days a week. Let's try to go to four. Let's try to go to five or whatever the case might be. Other questions? All right, flip your hand out over. Um, we're going we're gonna to meet again to do like a next piece of training here on April 11th. What we're going to talk about on, uh, on that day or some more, uh, we're going to really kind of break down that scriptural engagement rhythm and kind of spread it out a little bit. And what could it actually look like for me to sit down and talk about one passage of scripture with another person? Um, we're going to spend some time talking about that. We're also going to spend some time talking about how do you really identify a person who's ready to be discipled, um, someone who's faithful, available, and teachable. And so what the backside of that uh, document does whether you're interested in being discipled or you're interested in discipling someone, that walks through, you could use the next month to really be praying about and thinking about who's available to disciple you or for you to be able to disciple. For the sake of clarity, we put it in the language of who could you disciple. If you're interested in being discipled, just flip that term every time you get there. Um, spend some time praying over... Uh, the next month. Spend some time thinking about who's already around you, who already exists in your life that you could just invite into some more intentionality in that relationship. Make a little list of names there. Get together once and kind of cast the vision for that person, what this relationship could be. Um, and, you know, on April 11th, we'll get back together and we'll talk about some more things. And um, our goal will generally be like once a quarter to do meetings where we do some training for people who are in discipleship relationships or wanting to continue to learn about them. Um, it won't be me every time. Praise the Lord. Um, nobody needs me up here all the time. And so, but we'll get together Thursday night, April 11th, and do some more training. But in between now and then, the handle to grab onto is... Who could I do this with? Who could I invite into this relationship to disciple them or to disciple me? And um, if, if this group of people engages in that, takes that uh, seriously over the next month or so, on Thursday, February 11th, we'll get together and really start to look at what, is, what should it look like when we gather together around the word? How can we break that apart a little bit more? Sound good? Any other questions? At this point, I know there are probably a lot of questions in general, but awesome. Jim, you got that microphone still? You want to pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. Father, we come before you, 
God, we come before you asking that as a result of tonight's meeting, and God, as a result of bringing both people who are longing to find a Paul, those who are longing to find a Timothy, um, God, that you transform lives. God, that you bring about faith in the lives of people who don't know you. God, that you um, progress your process of sanctification in the lives of many here um, at LCF and way beyond. Um, God, we know that you work relationally. God, you yourself and who you are are a relational God. And God, you allow for us to enter into those relationships, both with you and with others. And God, we pray that we will pour out um, our faith and God pour out our passion. God pour out our love for you, um, into those relationships. And God, um, we just ask you to just supernaturally lead to connections being made. Um, God connections that, uh, in the moment may, may be scary, but God give boldness to step into those relationships and God that you, um, will foreordain them as well. And God work through those relationships for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom and your gospel. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.